They say when a codependent dies, someone else's life flashes before their eyes. I know I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry when I first heard that, but real comedy always has uh, shreds of truth, right? <laughs> hey friends, I'm Jody Stevens. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for checking out uh, this podcast. If you enjoy it, if you've listened to a few episodes, that's awesome. And I'd love it if you would leave a review or place your comments in the app that you listen to, whether maybe it's Apple iTunes. Um, you can also connect with me through uh, Podbean, which is where I host the uh, podcast. And I'd love to hear from you too. You can uh, check out all of my information on my website, which is jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E, Stevens with a V, jodystevens.org. And I also offer a course there on identity and finding our true identity in Christ, our true self, which actually uh, happens to be what we're talking about today, uh, finding our true self, finding our God-given identity. I'm talking about that through the lens of recovery from addictions and codependencies, because that's part of my story. But I also want to dig into areas of self-exploration, because I know a lot of times we hear like in the church and stuff that, you know, our identity is in Christ, and that's totally true, but that, you know, we can just kind of throw away our old identity or who, you know, who we were before and all those sorts of things. And, and there's definitely some truth to that. But I believe that Knowing ourselves deeply is super important to finding our identity, okay? In the book, uh, The Gift of Being Yourself, which is a really good book, it's by David Benner, and he says that uh, Christian spirituality involves a transformation of the self that occurs only when God and self are both deeply known. He says there's no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self, and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. And furthermore, John Calvin says that nearly all all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And then, of course, my favorite quote of all from Dr. Henry Cloud is, and I think it's actually just a partial quote <laughs> that's, that, that someone used in a book, but it really stuck with me in its simplicity. Reality is always your friend, Everything else is just fantasy. Um, these are all philosophical ways of saying, you know, we can't change most things outside of ourselves until we first look inward at ourselves and allow God to shine his light in there and do some work. But that doesn't mean we throw away all the great parts of ourselves. If each one of us is honest with ourselves, we understand that recovery, uh, it, it's a journey that we're all on in this life, right? And I believe we'll find our true self in Christ only when we humbly explore ourselves, we explore our life, we explore our deeds thus far against God's holiness. And we learn that we all come up short once we understand the condition in which we were born into, right? I mean, our lives, if every single one of us is honest, begins as described in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 4, which tells us, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the spirit who is now at work, it says, in those who are disobedient. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
So this is a hard truth, right? And it was it was one that I know I had to swallow if I wanted to get well, if I wanted to stay sober and heal from my issues. And how we lived before we understood our condition, a lot of times, you guys, this is not our fault, especially if we experienced loads of trauma in our childhood, right? But here's the deal. It is our responsibility. Okay, but God understands the pain. He understands the the dysfunction. He understands perhaps the the abuse, the loss of identity that drove us into our addictions or our dysfunctions or the emotional and mental and spiritual problems that we have today, right? And so this is where the enemy of God and the enemy of man wants you to stay. But that is not where God wants to take you. So these verses in Ephesians continue. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 then goes on to tell us, right? So we go back to where I ended with, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Then it continues, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It says, it is by grace you've been saved and raised up with Christ, and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It says, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, a gift, not by works, so that nobody can boast. For we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that awesome? So for me personally, if I wouldn't have done the inner work to get and stay sober, I don't even know if I would be alive today. And those of us in addiction, recovery, and sobriety who have done the work to stay sober, I think we have a unique gift to bestow on others. We've taken a long, hard look at ourselves. We understand the condition that we were in more than most. We've turn, torn away that, that curtain of self-denial, so to speak. We've looked into the dark places of our souls because we know that that's the only way out. We understand that, right, you can't crucify the sin parts of yourself that you deny even exist. And I know for me and most of us who are sober would like to tell you that success came to our friends and family who are also addicts, but sadly— we know and live with the pain every day uh, that that is often not the case. Today, I praise the Lord, I'm 15 years sober from drugs and alcohol, but man, has my family system that I grew up in just been torn apart by addiction. It killed my only brother in 2015. You know, uh, and, and praise the Lord, I have, a, I have a great life, a great marriage. My husband's been sober for 18 years. We have 33 years of sobriety between us. I have a great life with Christ at the center, and yet, you know, my brother is gone. And, and I always ask, you know, why me, right? Why am I alive? Why is he dead, right? Just those questions that we ask ourselves. Why did, you know, why did I deserve to live and why couldn't he make it? But you see, it was ultimately, this is how God kind of works all things out for the good of those who love him, you know. And it was ultimately his suffering that, that led me to the Lord, and God used his faith to bring about mine. It was in like 2001, and it was in a small recovery home. He was trying to get sober. He was in Portland, Oregon, and he had invited me to church, and I was 
I don't even think I was a Christian then, but I was seeking. And he was in this little recovery home. Uh, It was just a little house with a bunch of drug and alcohol addicted men. And he had invited me to church the next day. And um, because he was always in and out of recovery. And so this was one of his sober periods. I was still drinking heavily. I did not want to go. But I told him I would go. So uh, the next day I went, I got out of bed, I was hungover. But, you know, I was an ethical alcoholic. I told him I would go. So so I did, and I get there, and we're all just singing praise and worship songs. It's me and a bunch of alcoholic, drug-addicted men. And I can't explain the feeling, the emotion that swept over me. The the It was painful, too. It was just... It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but there there was love and, and pain and all these crazy emotions. And that was when I really begin to start, started to really begin to feel the hope of God. And I accepted the Lord probably, I don't know, within weeks after that experience. And um, meanwhile, sadly, you know, my brother's journey, he just continued to spiral downward until ultimately death 15 years later. You know, it was like he was this tormented, broken angel whose struggles in this life were meant to bring, you know, the rest of his family closer to God. I mean, I, I and I don't know, I don't have the answer. I just know today I am a grateful, sober alcoholic. Um, and part of me will always have a broken heart. You know, the stuff we, we go through in this life, it, it you know, a friend of mine, we were talking about this the other day where... It, will always be broken. There's healing in the pain, but there's always a part of me that will always, you know, have that have that brokenness. But it's okay because God is good and in the end he's going to make all things right. He will wipe every tear away from our eyes. That's what we're told in Revelation. And we know that God has amazing that you know, it tells us no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has planned. Uh, for those who love him. And so that's the hope. That's the hope. And it's real hope, you guys. It's not hope, as described in the Bible, is the belief in what you can't see and the knowledge of the truth behind it. And, you know, there continues to be um, so many miracles among us today. I mean, if you're listening to this and you have some time in sobriety, if you've been sober for like a year, you are a miracle. You are a, a living, breathing, walking miracle. But I grew up in a in a very codependent family system. You know, in a lot of ways, it, there was a lot of wonderful things, but dealing with uh, conflict was modeled in very passive-aggressive ways, and feelings in general were just not dealt with. And if they were dealt with, they were dealt with very poorly. There's this great book who that's helped me a lot, and if you struggle with codependency issues, you should check it out. I talk about it a lot. It's like an oldie but goodie. It's called Lost in the Shuffle by Robert Subby. And so he was one of the first people to really discover that most um, addicts are also codependent, and most codependents are addicts. And he describes codependency as an emotional, psychological, and behavioral condition that develops as a result of an individual's prolonged exposure to and practice of a set of oppressive rules, rules which prevent the open expression of feeling as well as the direct discussion of personal and interpersonal problems. So in other words, stuffing, right? 
This is when we stuff our feelings. And so in codependent family systems, feelings are often really uncomfortable subjects. A lot of times we might hear things like, well, we don't know why you feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel that way, right? And so pretty soon you don't or, or, or you try not to. And remember that in, in systems where this has gone on for generations after generations of, of addiction and codependencies throughout, throughout generations of families, you've got oftentimes parents or grandparents or whatever that are not comfortable dealing with feelings. And so when their kids have strong feelings, it's much easier to just say, stop feeling that way. It's just, just stop feeling that way, right? But this also causes people to suppress their God-given instincts. And that can also cause other problems to where they've stuffed their instincts. So when someone's creepy or there's, there's a predator, they can stuff that too. So stuffing feelings causes all kinds of problems, and it's very bad uh, to, to do this type of thing. And we all do it to some extent, right? Oh, stop feeling that way. I don't know why you feel that way. But it's, it's bad. You know, we should always acknowledge people's feelings. I could go on about that, but it, though this is not always intentional, this type of thing, invalidation is what it's called, invalidating somebody's feelings always, almost always, I believe, produces shame. And shame, you know, is that if my feelings are wrong or somehow bad, then I must be bad. And that's the lie that we believe. And so shame, I believe, is at the root of most, if not all, destructive behaviors, particularly addiction. So shame says, it's not that my behavior's bad, it's that I'm bad. No one could love me. I'm unlovable. So this is the lie, because God told us that he loves us. We know that God loves us. And most of the time in the Bible, he'll say, I hate the deeds of these. I hate these things that you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. He doesn't say, I hate you. He doesn't say you're bad. He said your sin is bad. You see the difference? Now, this belief also whispers, no one can help me, right? If you've stuffed your feelings and you don't feel comfortable expressing them, kind of hard to think that you're deserving of help, right? It says that help cannot be found outside of myself. I'm on my own. And then begins this self-destructive pattern of emotional stuffing, of self-sufficiency, of isolation, and other things that open the doors to addictive behaviors and reckless behaviors and all sorts of things that get us in trouble. And it is shame that causes most of us to develop what's called the false self. And we all have a measure of this, right? You know, you see people and you're like, they're not being real. Like, they're totally fake. That's pretty much what that is. This is the self or the, the partial self that we put forward that we think that the world will like better, that other people will like better. Because we're afraid if people see the real us, they won't like us. And a lot of times, we don't actually know who the real us is. Maybe we've stuffed our feelings and who we are for so long. And, and we've created maybe a more likable version of ourselves long before we were actually even aware we were doing it. And so for me, years ago, when I really started to look into this, I realized that I had felt unlovable. And I wasn't consciously aware of it. It was just kind of below the surface of everything I did. I was always trying to earn everybody's approval. I was not really playing an active role in who my friends were. I was kind of going along, letting relationships choose me. And then I'd be kind of resentful when I would 
get taken advantage of or be in a bad situation with someone because I was ignoring my instincts, right? Our instincts that tell us, you know, maybe this is not the best friend for me or situation. And so this belief that my feelings didn't matter was also kind of floating below the surface. And so pretty soon, I think I just tried to stop feeling, but I'm pretty much like a big mushball. And if you're listening, especially us ladies, it's like, (laughs) it's really hard to stuff your feelings because we have a lot of them. So really, I think what it really was, was I just became really ashamed of my feelings. I believe that they were wrong. And so if someone, you know, if I went to someone and, and I was upset, like a boss, and they and they, you know, I don't know why you feel that way. That didn't, you know, I would feel really ashamed. Like I was somehow wrong, even though I was right. And when you think about anything that's stuffed, right? I mean, think of your sock drawer. <laughs> I mean, it can only hold so much before it leaks and pops and it explodes. And what's inside overlaps. It's all mushed together. And then when it escapes, it can be super messy and hard to sort out. If you're struggling with addictions and, and you have childhood issues and, and a lot of things, right? And all this, you know, you're having fits of anger, you're, you, you know, you're passive aggressive, you, you don't understand what's going on. That's what this is. It's, it's you know, you're thinking, I could never get to the, the root of all this stuff. You, you can. There's a reason for it. And a lot of it's just working through some of those emotions and, and, and everything that's all mushed together in that sock drawer, trying to just kind of sort it all out, right? You can't always sort it all out, but you can, you, you know, with God's help, you can really begin to, to just start kind of digging in there. And so I began doing that, wondering, you know, what's underneath this anger, this addiction, these control issues, this performance anxiety? It was shame. And again, it's not the I've done something bad kind of shame. It was the, the I'm bad kind of shame. And so that's the lie. We are sinners, sure, but we're saved by grace. And we we may have done bad things, but we are not bad. Why? Because God did not create anything bad. God can't create anything bad. Everything he created is perfect. It's perfect. And so by the time I was a teenager... Man, oh man, I didn't even know who I was. I like to say I was a dyslexic left-handed kid who grew up in Alaska in the 70s. And I had teachers say I was stupid. I would never amount to anything, you know, and there's a lot of shame in that. And what I didn't know then that I know now is I just graduated with a master's degree is I loved to learn. Back when I was a little kid, I loved to learn, but I was told I was stupid. And so because of this shame, I created this kind of false front, this me that, you know, I thought people would like better. And so like most addicts, I could be in a room full of people and still feel completely alone. In this radio interview on Focus on the Family, I heard author Larry Krabs say, we have become personas, not persons, to get what we want. We do this because deep down we're terrified. If people saw the real us, they wouldn't want us. So we use control to fill the void. Control. What is control? It's, it's creating a self that we think people are going to like better, right? We're trying, to, we're trying to control what people see, what they think of us. So <laughs> those are control issues, right? And so when we're living kind of with this false front, it's super hard to hear from God. 
because the voices of everybody else are just too loud. And it's impossible to know his will for our life when we're living from our false self, because how can God use who we're not? And so this is why looking inward at who we are and what we're doing is so important in this kind of whole life recovery process. And so sometimes the only way that God can heal us is to tear away that false self, to tear away everything that we're not. And sometimes that can be very messy and it can be very painful. John 15, 1 through 2, one of my favorite verses, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the pruning and the cutting away of dead vines, ouch, right? So that hurts. That's what so many of our difficult times in life are about that. But if we can get through to the other side, we'll see what God is doing. So for me, about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, a really bad time in my life, I experienced just a a deep betrayal. Uh, My brother died, as I told you, in 2015, you know, and then I sought relief in the one place I thought I had to be safe. And that came crashing down, too. You know, have you ever gone somewhere for healing, right, and you came out worse than when you left? Maybe the church wound, maybe the job, you know, maybe it was an organization that harmed you. God forbid it was a therapist, but you get what I mean. You go in and and you're looking for help, or maybe it was like a church where you you got out of a false religion and, you know, or or a cult or something. We were talking about cults and we've we've got an upcoming episode. In fact, the next episode show that you're going to hear is escaping a cult. So perhaps you escape a cult and you go into a church and you're harmed. And so stuff like that, you know, that's kind of what I was going through. I began to question my faith in God and whether or not he even cared about me because it seemed like everything I tried to build was knocked down. You know, my husband and I, unfortunately, we don't have children. You know, my brother was dead. I'm just like... Lord, do you want me to be alone, right? You, you, you must want me to be alone and isolated because I'm trying. I'm trying so hard in everything I do. It's not working. And I got to the point where everything just came crashing down and I was done, like D-O-N-E, done. I wanted to die, you know, and I felt like it was all God's fault. And I was trying to figure out how to end my relationship with God, too. And at the time, I was doing morning drive on the Fish radio station in Sacramento. So it's pretty hard. You know, every morning I'd go in and Toby Mag's like, you're all up in everything. You know, in Hillsong's, what a beautiful name. You know, and then I would be even more mad. I'm like, God, I can't live with you. and I can't live without you. You know, and it was just such a such a hard time. And that's the turning point by the way, for most of us, when everything is gone and everything comes crashing down. And then that's what happened to me. And maybe you've experienced this. And that's when God shows up. And he says, now you have a choice. Do you believe that I'm enough, even though you feel like everything's gone? And so you can keep going and living the way that you're living, right? I could, I could turn away and walk away from the Lord or I could choose to stick with him, even though I was mad at him and felt like he took everything away from me and I was getting no benefit <laughs> in my relationship with the Lord. I mean, that's how I felt. Like, like Lord, what's the point? I'm getting no benefit, okay? Uh, which isn't true, but that's how it felt. So, But I chose to stick it out. 
you know, and I tried, like, I, I tried, like, I went back to my heavy metal music and, you know, I tried to live without God for a couple of days and it sucked. So I, I, I said, okay, Lord, forgive me. I, I, I love you. I'm not going to walk away from you. But Lord, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done striving. I'm done creating stuff. I'm going to work and I'm going home. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything else. Basically, I surrendered. I will say I probably had a little bit of a bad attitude, but I, I just kind of surrendered everything and, and said I'm done. And I have to tell you that <laughs> that was the turning point. Like, that is when God really showed up. And he restored my faith and he took me deeper and he worked out this program through the radio station where I could get a master's degree with William Jessup. And so I got an MA before I left and he just really began to show me my true self and restored, began to restore my self-esteem and all these sorts of things. But I really had to be done with everything. One of the things that he did through that was he was tearing away that need for approval. He was ripping it out of me because every time I would try to create something for, you know, a church or do something, it would get it would get destroyed. And I had to look at why was I doing these things? And I was doing these things because I wanted approval from certain people. And tearing away that need for approval was like taking a needle from a junkie from a co- for a codependent. I mean, it was rough. It was worse than any addiction. It was worse than anything. It was, I was on the brink of, of, of suicide. That's how bad it is when you struggle with codependency and that addiction and wanting people's approval. I mean, it was rough. And so I had to keep getting hurt and betrayed in the same area over and over and over again before I finally got it, before I finally was able to look up and say, okay, God, you're it and I don't need anybody else. And so that pain right there is part of God's pruning. I'm sure you've seen it in your own life. And that's why the Bible says we're to count it all joy, the struggles we face, because they're strengthening our character. And when God is finished, we will be complete and lacking nothing. And so the book I referenced earlier, The Gift of Being Yourself, the author says, powerful conditioning in childhood encourages us to acknowledge only the most acceptable parts of ourselves and parts of self that are not given a place in the family table, he says, become stronger, not weaker, operating out of sight and beyond awareness. They have increased influence on our behavior. He says Christian spirituality involves acknowledging all of our part selves, exposing them to God's love, and letting him weave them into the new person he is making. Okay, so when we just say, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace, the Lord has made me new. Okay, while that's true, if you are not exposing the destructive parts and the things like you can't you can't be free from sin if you deny that it exists. Does that make sense? And so that's why looking inward and doing this work is so important in finding our God-given identity. So these unconscious parts for me of myself and the shame underneath were powerful unconscious influences that led to self-destructive behavior. And I think that's why we say, you know, knowledge is power was one of the reasons, because once we identify these, uh, what are often called, you know, shadow parts of ourselves, we can begin to understand them and how they impact our behavior and contribute to our addictions and our problems. Again, reality is your friend, right? Reality, though hard to face, heals. Hiding always destroys. Hiding always destroys. And so for me, when I I did 
finally get sober in my early 30s, I did enough recovery work to get by. But I was still anxious and I was still afraid and I had a terrible time standing up for myself. And at one point I was actually being bullied at work. I did not actually think that I had the power to do anything about it. I figured if I stood up for myself, like I would be fired. I mean, that's really where my mindset was. And so this is just because that's I didn't think my feelings mattered. So if I stand up for myself, I'm going to get crushed. That is literally how I felt. It wasn't true, but that's how I felt. And so this is just one of the many examples or situations that made me feel trapped. Many of us feel trapped. And this is where addictions and anger and all these sorts of things come from, is feeling trapped because we don't believe we have power to speak up. But that's a lie. And so I was so disconnected from myself, though, that I didn't even know I felt trapped. I was trapped inside myself. It was like there was this kind of little person in there, like the real me inside of me, just just hiding, like pounding on my inside saying, let me out. And a lot of times people trapped in addictions, I think that they're responding to this often unconscious feeling of being trapped. And it wasn't that I didn't have choices. Again, I honestly believed if I stood up for myself, like I would somehow be destroyed or that I would that I would cease to exist. I don't even know how else to explain it. There's a book, and I I can't remember the author, but she talks about um, daughters of narcissistic mothers. And that wasn't my case, but I know for some of you listening, maybe it was. And that's what she was saying is like, when you've been trained to to not exist, right? If if you have any experience with dealing with a narcissist, when you're around them, you kind of don't exist because they make you feel invisible. And so this idea of having this identity and standing up for yourself feels like you're going to lose love because that was your situation growing up. And and loss of love is almost like feeling like you're going to be destroyed somehow. That's the only way I knew how to explain it. And so that's what I mean about God tearing away that that need for approval. It's It runs so, so deep that we feel like if we actually stand up for ourselves, we're going to be destroyed. And those of you that don't have that experience, it may be hard for you to understand the, the, this idea that there are people that actually don't believe they have choices because of that. And so it's, God needs to break through that lie. I mean, think about it. If love and acceptance come from not being you or not expressing emotions, then being you would mean destruction, loss of love. So you could see how this turmoil could cause anger, uh, resentment, feeling used, feeling trapped, fits of rage, excessive addictions, and on and on and on, right? And so for me, it wasn't until 10 years after I got sober that I started to really uncover these issues, these, I just call them codependency issues. And the reason for me personally that I drank was it gave me some of that power back. And that's what addiction is. It gave me a sense of power over my powerlessness of people and situations or my perceived powerlessness. So by drinking, I was doing something about the situation. I was soothing myself. It was an action that gave me a sense of being in control. This is important. It was a replacement for what I lacked the courage to do. And I believe that's what addiction is for so many people. It's just it's another form of displacement. Okay, I had so much displaced anger, rage, sadness, anxiety, and these problems, they had so much power in my life because I I didn't know where they were coming from. 
And so I had to dig into this stuff and sort it all out, you guys. And this is why recovery is referred to as like, you know, peeling back the layers of an onion. Because the recovery process or unraveling, it's a lifelong process. And it's only by God's power that we can begin to unravel it all. You see, I was powerless over my fear of people. And finally realizing this powerlessness helped me to surrender it to the Lord and gave me the courage to change what I did have power over. And that was me. Nobody else, just me. And so for me, getting sober wasn't the hard part, right? The hard part was accepting the huge part that my behavior, my codependencies played in my problems. One of my favorite recovery sayings is about acceptance. And it comes from page 419 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're in the recovery movement, you know this really well. It says, an acceptance is the answer to all my problems when I am disturbed. It is because I find some person, place, thing, situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake until I could accept my alcoholism or my addiction or whatever it is. I could not stay sober. Unless I can accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. I can always tell if someone is on the road to recovery when their attitude starts to change, when they stop the blame game. You know, as long as there is that root of resentment and blame and right everything somebody else's fault, you know, I typically know that they are a ticking time bomb. You know, and and Lord knows there's plenty of blame to go around. I think we all understand that, right? Just look at our political situation right now. You know, everybody's blaming everybody, you know. For me and so many others, I think that that the light turns on, you know, when we understand freedom comes. Freedom comes from changing from the inside out. That my life is my own and your life is your own and that the only person you can change is yourself. You cannot change anyone else, but you can change your reaction to them. You can change your reaction to circumstances. And that's when true recovery comes to us. And that's why the serenity prayer is so, so powerful. God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change other people and perhaps things I've done in my past. Right. But the courage to change what I can myself and the wisdom to know the difference. And it's recognizing I think slowly and over time, what we do and do not have power over. And you see, it's these little baby steps day in and day out that are the keys to recovery and to sobriety or whatever it is that you're working to overcome. And when we take these little steps and and things begin to change, we start to understand that our life is our own and not somebody else's. You know, yes, we belong to the Lord and we're following him. But you understand what I'm saying is it relates to you know, trying to appease other people, and that we, with God's help, can create our own reality in many ways. Obviously, things happen that we can't control, but you understand what I'm saying, that that we are not powerless or trapped by our circumstances, right? We may be powerless over our addictions, but with God, with community, with sobriety, we are never helpless. It's in letting God be bigger than our problems, Right When we allow our problems to become bigger than God, they can consume us. Let God be bigger than your problems. 
And God will be with you and wants to take you on that journey, that journey. My husband and I said have 33 years of uh, sobriety between us, which is probably exposing our age. You know, God brought us together, though, in miraculous ways when we took that step of, of recovery. And, you know, they say in recovery, if you do the work, you will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle you. And I see that for me personally, so many areas in in my life where I I can handle things that really did used to baffle me. Praise the Lord for that. And, you know, when we talk about living in reality— Right. That means not just the hard stuff and the ugly stuff that we've been talking about, but the good stuff, too. Right. That we are deeply loved by God for who we are and not what we do and that he longs to reveal to us our true identity in him and that he promised to heal us and deliver us when we humbly come to him and surrender to him. In uh, Mark 2, verse 17, Jesus reminds the Pharisees, and all of us for that matter, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He's come for us, the sinners, to remove our shame, to heal us. There is nothing that isn't too awful that God hasn't dealt with. Nothing. Remember, God's ancient. God is ancient. He's been, he's omnipresent and omnipotent and all those things that basically mean he's been around forever. Um, If you think there's something that you've done that he can't relate to or heal, you're wrong (laughs) because he created us. So (laughs) I'm so surprised by my creation that did that, right? So if you're struggling with codependencies or addictions and and, and stuff like that, I just want to encourage you to seek the Lord, find a great recovery group, and find people uh, that can keep you accountable and can help you on this journey. It's so, 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 so important to have community. One of the roots of addictions and issues is lack of connection, uh, feeling alone and isolated. So you want to break that cycle of feeling alone and isolated. And if you want to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you and hear your story and offer you some encouragement. My email is um, connect with Jody Stevens at yahoo.com. Again, my name's J O D I E and Stevens with a V. Connect with Jody Stevens at yahoo.com. I have a healing blog that you can check out on my website, jodystevens.org. I also offer an identity course if you're interested in that. And it's all there right there on my website at uh, jodystevens.org. Escaping a cult. That is what we're going to talk about next with a great friend of mine. So please follow this blog, leave a review. You can follow me on Podbean, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify. Most listening apps for podcasts, you'll find it here. Uh, Genuine Life with Jody Stevens. So God bless you and thank you for listening.